Welcome to the as of yet unnamed Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and I'm here with my longtime friend, Ben. Hello. And uh, we are two middle-aged Star Trek nerds from a long time ago. I've been watching Star Trek since I was, jeez, probably... We're, we're from a long time ago, like we've come from the past to do a podcast. There you go. There you go. What okay. Was the, what was, should we give a little background? What was the first Star Trek you watched, Ben? Uh, probably Next Generation. I, I'd seen, like, you know, original series was on cable and stuff, but I hadn't really watched much of it. Next Generation was the first one I watched religiously. Right. Yeah, I watched a little bit of the original series with my dad when it was on TV, you know. I mean, enough to know what it was, but, you know, just a handful of episodes. But I was pretty young when it was on, so, like, I think it was a little bit over my head. But, yeah, I'm with you, definitely. Next Generation, cut my teeth on that. Yep. Watched a bunch of Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. So what other Star Trek have you watched, Ben? Next Generation's your favorite, right? Uh, it's a tough call. Like individual episodes of Next Generation are probably my favorite, but overall, I think DS Nine is my favorite. Okay, because I think DS Nine is my favorite too, just because it's so. It's the first one that had a real arc. So, okay, all right, fair enough. I mean, Next Generation dipped their toe in that a little bit with some of the Klingon stuff, and you know, Picard getting assimilated by the board came back a couple times, but generally it was just a, you know, episode of the week thing. Right. So do you know, and I did a little research on this. Do you know, uh, so strange new worlds, do you know what number of star Trek TV show this is? So if the original series was one and next generation was two, what's strange new worlds. Okay. I mean, are they counting like the animated series and all, all of them or I assume so. Okay. Uh, how about eight? Eleven. Oh wow! Isn't that crazy? Okay, they got to be. They got to be counting everything to get to eleven. Yeah. Um. There are five Star Trek TV shows on the air right now. It's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah I know they're they're milking this this franchise for all. They certainly, well, I mean, we were in the dark ages for like ten years when it was in like the yeah. hell. Like they couldn't get it on the air, and now they're just like, well, we gotta get as many on the on the air as we can. So. Well, they weren't allowed to do it for a while. Paramount yeah. was was keeping all the, t- you know, everything Star Trek had to be the movies with J.J. Abrams for a while. Yeah. So, so uh, the impetus of this series actually started with, in fact, all of these are char- three of these characters. So the Pike character, the Spock character, and the number one character played by Re- Rebecca Romaine were all characters on Discovery, and actually there was such a fan I want to say uprising, but that's not the right word. There was such a a clamoring from the fans because Anson Mount did such a fantastic job as Pike that there was an online campaign to do some sort of spinoff series with Captain Pike and it actually worked. And so fast forward to May 5th, 2022, the first episode of strange new worlds actually launched. So this is ultimately a spinoff of discovery, right? Did you watch any of Discovery that had Pike on it? No. I saw the first season of Discovery and then bailed. I, I'm kind of with you. I watched the first season and a little bit of the second season, and I think maybe a couple episodes here and there. And I, it just didn't grab me. But I, I, absolutely, the scenes with Pike were amazing, because I don't know what it is about Anson Mount, but his he's extremely charismatic, and he does a really good job. So uh, I'm glad he got a spin-off. He's easy on the eyes. I mean, That's true. I mean, he's... Absolutely. 
so you know anything about Captain Pike? I mean, yes, I've seen, you know, I've seen the menagerie from way back when. And um, I, I haven't actually seen it. I mean, I've seen this, the shots online and I'm familiar with like his storyline a little bit. Do you want to talk about like what, what, where that comes from? Because ultimately, I mean, here we are the 11th Star Trek series in, and this is ultimately a reference back to the first one, right? Yeah, I mean, all those, you know, those three characters you named, uh, Pike, Spock, and Number One, were all in the original pilot for Star Trek back in, what, 66? Yeah, right. And Uhura was too, but you heard they didn't have Uhura on Discovery, so she didn't quite get the nod, but yeah. Right. So, uh, Yeah, and, and it was, you know, they they shot it, and the network, you know, thought it needed some punch-up, and so they ended up recasting the you know the captain role with with William Shatner and the rest is history but so yeah you skipped a step there pike was the original captain in the original pilot for the original series right and they and the network didn't like it so they went back and refilmed it yep and then and they then, later like cut it up and turned it into an episode it was a two part episode like you said the menagerie right yeah season 1 episodes 11 and 12 of the original series do you know do you know why they did the menagerie? I thought this was interesting. No. They so apparently the original series is on TV and it's got a lot of um special effects and it was an expensive show to produce. And it was it took a long time for the effects, you know, cuz they're in the 60s and they couldn't get the ep- new episodes to the studio in time. So the studio was putting pressure on them like, "Look, we got to put this on the air. Like you can't keep holding up these episodes for these effects." So what Roddenberry did was he went back to the original um, unaired pilot at the time, um, which is called The Cage. Yes. And, and they used all the, the stuff of Pike from that and, and ended up making a two-part episode about it. So it was really just kind of a, like, it was a budget thing, really, which I thought was kind of interesting. So huh. what do we... So before... We haven't even got to the beginning of this episode yet. So what do we know about Pike before this this show even starts well i mean that that's i mean that's all i know about pike before watching strange new worlds is what i know from watching the menagerie where you know he's a captain of the enterprise for quite a while they have you know something happens to him they don't really quite know what it is and then as they go and investigate they find that you know he's basically a space vegetable in his little pike sled and uh you know, yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what happens. Like the, the, you know, the aliens have their like mind control powers and make a, a, like they make a world for him where he's he's whole again. Is that kind of what it is? No, I I don't know the specifics of that episode. Maybe I should have watched it in preparation for this. But I I do know, like you said, that it essentially ends and you see, um, Pike in yeah a wheelchair or a hover chair or whatever, and he's horribly burned. Right, his yeah. face is. And he can't really speak, and he has—I think it's three lights above his head—and he sort of communicates. It's, it's just beep. It's one one beep for yes, two beeps for no. Like that's one, all he can do. So it, there's like a Stephen Hawking thing kind of going on there. Yeah, where he's this guy, and he's sort of still there, but you know, he's horribly disfigured. So that that going into this, that's all I really knew is that Pike was, you know, the original captain of the Enterprise. That's canon. And something happens to him, and he gets burned and end up in a wheelchair. And that's really essentially, you know, at the start of Strange New Worlds, I think that's all you really know about him. But that is important to know before you go into this. Yeah. You could start the show without that, that information, but if you do have that information of where he ends up, then it's it, it adds a little bit to this. 
Right, and they they allude to that pretty quickly in episode one of Strange New Worlds. We we get quite a few flashes to his future. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, I and I think it kind of goes without saying, but I'm going to say it just so that it's clear. This 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 is a prequel to the original series. This is this is before Kirk is uh, on the Enterprise, is captain of the Enterprise. Um, this show takes place ten years before the original series. So there is there's a decade between this and when and when Kirk takes over. So sometime between the start of this show and the start of the original series, something happens to Pike. So I think that's sort of what they're setting up is that, hey, there's going to be a story arc for this character. Right. And it, it seems like we're supposed to know a little bit more about Pike from Discovery. Yeah. Although so it sounds like you and I are both kind of in the dark on that. We will, yeah. I took some notes on that a little bit, and we can. I'm trying. I'm trying to see if it's worth talking about right now. Let's. Let, we can talk about it real quickly. Okay. So, just like Deep Space Nine opens with the Battle of Wolf Three Five. Is it Three Five Nine? Yeah, Wolf Three Five Nine. And there's the big. Uh, yeah, it's, it's yes, yes, it the is. The big Borg it's fight, and and essentially Cisco is is ticked off at Picard because you know, he got his wife killed. So there's this big tie in between the universes. So that's what ultimately happens here is in discovery, the, um, when Pike, well, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know all the details, but the, the discovery goes into the future. There's some sort of time warp thing and they enter, they create a wormhole, which causes problems and essentially leads to the beginning of this show. So okay. that's all I'll say for now. We'll get to it once we get to that part of the episode because they actually reference it in the episode. So the only other thing, because I don't even know how far we are into this. We haven't even started talking about the episode yet. We're 12 minutes in. So the only other thing I want to talk about before we start the episode is if you're not aware, we need to talk about what the prime directive is. But more specifically in this, because this is before the original series takes place, they refer to it in this episode as Starfleet General Order 1. Do you want to talk about what the prime directive is and what it means? Uh yeah, I mean it's it's been around since the original series and it's Starfleet's biggest, you know, regulation which is that they're they're not to interfere with the development of any species. So in, anyone that doesn't already have warp travel, they're not supposed to reveal themselves or, or their technology so that they don't influence those cultures and and cause them to go, you know, down a different path than they would have on their own because it's you know at least uh every example we have of that happening it ends up going really badly so uh, they they seem justified in in uh you know having the prime directive although it also seems like it gets broken an awful lot and it absolutely rule that's supposed to never be broken under any circumstances it gets broken an awful lot with seemingly no consequences so this, I mean, this entire episode revolves around uh, them violating the prime directive. So it's it's interesting, but I think that was a perfect definition. So basically, Starfleet is not allowed to interfere with uh, a civilization that does not have warp technology. Right, and we can go into the hows and whys a little bit later in this episode. But I think you got it. So that's everything I wanted to cover just to set the basis. Anything you can think of before we dive into the actual episode? No, let's do it. All right, so I, I kind of like to go scene by scene, um, you know, at least hitting the big scenes. So it, the episode opens with there's an alien race, and they're looking up in the sky, and they see a U.S. Federation ship. They see you see a ship that looks sort of like the Enterprise. 
you don't know who the race is. It's not a race that we've seen before. Um, and they're kind of looking on their scanners and they're looking up in the sky and they see a ship. And that's pretty much the first scene and that's all you see. So there's not no, a lot have of explanation say, here. Right. But I have to say they, they, they pulled off the fake out pretty well with this because we're clearly meant to think as they're going through that scene that we're watching a Starfleet crew about to make first contact. And then we realize, no, this is the other side about to be have first contact made with them. Oh, okay. So, you know, they're, they're having, you know, you're hearing number one's narration of, uh, you know, the process of first contact and watching this person walk down the hall and get into like the ops room and everything. And pretty clearly you're supposed to think that this is, Okay, you know we're ready to make first. The Federation's ready to make first contact with another species, and then it turns out that no, you're seeing the species reacting to what's about to happen. Right, an accidental first contact, which we'll find out later. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot in this first episode. So that or the first scene. So the the second scene cuts to Captain Pike's farm. So, um, it, by the way, is is there? A Starfleet captain that doesn't have a ranch in Montana? That's a good question. That does seem like a very popular thing for them to have is a is a ranch somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Pike's Farm, it's in Bear Creek, Montana. I don't know if that makes any difference, but I did make note of that. So you see uh, Captain Pike there, and he is uh, looking full-on Grizzly Adams with a huge beard and a huge mustache, and uh, he's... He's making which breakfast. Is, which is t- totally Hollywood shorthand for anyone going through a mental health crisis. That's a good... I didn't think about that. That's a really good point. That's It's the laziest thing ever. Like someone, someone's messed up in the head. Oh, they grow a beard. That's, that's, yeah. what they do. that's what you do. Oh, wow. I didn't put two and two. To, you're right. Wow. Is there been... Well, I guess Riker had a beard on Next Generation. Like facial hair is Ry- not very Riker's- common. Yeah, Riker's got to be the only Star Trek character to ever grow a beard where that wasn't a sign of something ominous. Well, I just remember looking at Captain Pike going, okay, clearly this dude's on vacation because you never see anybody in right. Starfleet with with facial hair. Right. You know, okay. Sp- Spock with the beard is evil. Pike with the beard yep. is, you know, flaming Having... out. I mean, it's, right. the beard is not a good sign unless you're Will Riker. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So uh, Pike's in the kitchen. He's making breakfast. He's making some eggs. And you see a woman in uh, his bed wake up and come into the kitchen. And he refers to her as Captain Battelle. I don't know if that's important, but she does have a name. And you can, and she walks in and she says, hey, the phone is ringing again. And it cuts to like his, his desk or whatever. And you see his tricorder beeping. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that, they, that she says phone instead of tricorder or communicator or whatever. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a communicator, Scott. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he doesn't answer the phone. He's not interested. And she tries to talk him into, um, you know, coming back to command to, to you know, rejoin Starfleet. Because what's implied here, and this is what we talked about a little bit earlier, is that the, the tie-in with Discovery is there was a very, um, as part of the, the, the time dilation or the time shift in in discovery which starts off this episode pike had a very hard time he was like tortured in discovery and he was not in a good place in discovery when it ends before we hear yeah so we're, we're getting the sense he's had a rough go of it lately he's so. he's he's still recovering from whatever happened in discovery 
and right. actually uh, Battelle asks him and he he says he's really reluctant to return to command he wants to stay on his ranch and he needs some downtime and I think at one point she asks him what happened and he says I can't tell you because it's classified right so, so this was a big deal and we'll get get to it a little bit later but um, he does he's not interested in in ending his vacation so uh, the, he, it cuts to him riding a horse in the snow and then you see uh, a shuttle land ahead of him in the snow. And uh, Admiral, oh, I didn't get his name. Ad, Admiral April. April? Gets it, is, it is Robert April, who's the original captain of the Enterprise. Oh, I didn't know that for real. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I learned something. So shuttle lands. Admiral Robert April gets off and says, hey, you know, essentially you're not answering your phone. And he was like, yeah, I know. And he says, you got to come back. Like, we've got a situation. He was like, look, I don't care. I was told I would get three weeks of downtime or whatever. You know, like, he's like, I got some stuff I got to work through. And he keeps trying to interrupt him and tell the admiral that he's not interested. And then the admiral says, yeah, well, we have a first contact situation. And then he hands him what an iPad and it has a picture of. Um, yeah, it's a picture of the other on ship. Him. Yeah. And so, so at this point, he's emotionally invested because his number one is involved and, and missing. So Right. I, he, I really got a, again, I got a question Starfleet's, uh, you know, got to question their methods a little bit here. You've got this guy who's like, look, you really do not want me in command of a starship right now. I am not in a good place. And they're like, nope, you're going. Yeah, we really need you. Especially since they're like, no, this mission's super important. <laughs> you know, yeah, wouldn't right. that be the, like exactly the mission you wouldn't send this guy on right now? Yeah, that that is a good point. That's a good point. Uh, well, it works because Pike decides to end his shore leave. I mean, whatever he's he decides right. he's going to get involved because now now that his number one, his first in command, is involved, he decides to do it. So that ends the first scene. And I thought, and so the next scene is the intro, and it has the Star Trek litany. And I don't think we've heard the litany in any of the recent shows. I don't, I don't remember, but it's, it's this is the litany from yeah. the original series, essentially. Right. Yeah, but, we have not gotten the litany since Next Generation. Really, they didn't do it on. Oh, I guess Enterprise had it anyway. No, Enterprise do, didn't have anything over this. The... Was this was part of? I think part of the trailer for Strange New Worlds was Anson Mount reading the litany, and dude, like Chef's kiss, like the way he does it. I don't know. I got, I got like the hairs on the back of my neck stood up because he does such a good job for it. And actually, that was when I saw an interview with him online, and he said that was like one of the greatest honors of his life. Was uh, apparently he's a Star Trek fan, but he said recording the litany was like one of the coolest parts of the job so yeah i mean come on if you're a star trek fan like getting to do that's oh yeah seriously yeah right so uh i mean i the the intro's cool but nothing really jumps out at me other than it's cool to hear the litany again it's been been long enough that it's you know one of the reasons it seems like this show is going to succeed is that the the nostalgia strings they're tugging on you know they're, they've tightened enough over time that it's working. Yeah. The so after the after the litany, it cuts to Spock and Tapring. Uh, so they're having kind of a, a romantic dinner. Has they're, it, having, they're having a courtship event. Yeah, they are. Has it been mentioned what that 
Spock's wife was named. It must have been. Yes, that's that's in the, the original name, series. The name to me didn't stand out, but that could just be because my yeah, she, yeah, she's she's named in in uh, the original yeah. series when Spock has his pawn far and yeah, has to right. go back to Vulcan. I just hadn't heard her name before, but so you see them having a romantic dinner. Um, we'll skip the details. They essentially they get engaged. She proposes to him, which was interesting. And she gives him, uh, it's a necklace, right? Yeah. And so they are engaged. And so they're sitting there having this romantic dinner. And then it cuts afterwards and Spock's shirt is off. And he and, and all of a sudden, uh, well, Spock... if you're not going to have a sexy Spock, then what is the point? Well, so that's so my note on that was that Spock is cut, dude. Like, he's got some abs in this. Like, I never looked at Spock before and went, oh, that's a good looking dude. But like, Look, he's... It was like it's a term directive. The number one rule of Star Trek is that Spock can get it. Yeah, I was I was really surprised when they're like that Spock would had he was a good looking dude under his shirt. So uh, Kirk calls on you know whatever the view screen for wherever Spock is, and he basically tells him what's going on, and says you know hey we got a first contact situation number one's missing you got to get back to the Enterprise, and then at Oh, well, it, it starts because when Spock answers, he doesn't have a shirt on. And he says, he says, Spock, do you not have a shirt on? Yeah. And what is what does Tupring say after that? She said something funky. I forgot to write it down. It was funny, though. But he basically catches them, you know. Right yeah, no, Tupring's like, yeah, we were in the middle of something here. Oh, and yeah. And right. then, you know, because, yeah, e- either I got to believe that, like, their communicators just don't have a, an auto, audio only option. So I was thinking you like, think you think Spock would have chosen to you not know, have his camera on for that Zoom call if he could? Maybe if you don't have emotions, you don't care. Maybe. Maybe you're just like, look, you know, yeah. I, I look this good. Everybody should see it. Or it's just a humble brag. Yeah, could be. So uh, he talks Spock like, you got to cut your short leave short too. We got to get back to the Enterprise. We got a mission, and Tupring is clearly not happy about that. But well, I mean, I mean she's, look, look, she just you know she begged Spock, man. She, I mean. You want you want to get that on lock? I understand. I mean, yeah, if you got abs like that, yeah, you see that every day. So, uh, I mean, clearly, we're just setting up the characters to get back to the Enterprise, so we can get the 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 mission. Yeah, we're getting the band back together. We're getting the band back together. So, next scene is the interior of the Enterprise. The Enterprise is still in space dock. They were essentially retrofitting, you know, and doing some repairs on the Enterprise. One of the things that they noticed that the AI was upgraded. I don't yes. know. I don't know if that comes into play later, but they do mention that the AI was upgraded. So um, Spock is basically briefing Pike on the crew on who's on the board on board because they were they all got they all got requested to come back quickly, so they're not all on board. Um, Spock does mention um, that there is a, a Lieutenant Kirk who I know you requested. Um, he's not on the ship right now. But he will be um, catching up to them later. Yes, a very subtle reference there. Um, yes, so this is not um, clearly James T. Kirk. This is Lieutenant Kirk. Uh, actually, we'll get into it later. Well, yeah, I was going to say we're 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 meant to think it's James T. Kirk. Oh, you think so? You think? Oh, for sure. Oh, interesting. Well, see, I just kind of assumed because this is so far before that I assumed it was his father, not him. But I could see that you could, yeah, okay. All it's right. only ten years before. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, it comes up later. Un- unlike what apparently J.J. Abrams thinks, you don't go from Starfleet Academy direct to being captain of the Enterprise. 
there's there's a few steps in the middle there. So having uh, you know a a young officer Kirk ten years before he's captain of the Enterprise would certainly make sense. Okay. Uh, Spock mentions that there is a new security officer on the bridge, and her name is and I'm not going to pronounce this wrong. I'm sure Laon Nunian Singh. And, and yes. I had to I had to look this up. Just, so that name kind of stood out to me. Does that name stand out to you oh, at all? Yeah. I mean, yes. What, what do you What do you know about her? Uh, well, apparently she's related to Khan. Yeah, so she's like the great granddaughter or granddaughter. Yes, she's part of the the like Star Trek II Wrath of Khan Khan that she's uh, related to him. Um, yeah, th- yeah, that that name should ring some bells for anyone who's seen Star Trek property in the last few years. I didn't. Well, so I remember, and this is why I had to look it up because the the name Noonien shows up several times in the Star Trek universe. That must be like the James of the okay. Star Trek universe, um, because the guy that created Data was named um, Noonien. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's I was true. Thinking, I was thinking she was related to the guy that made Data, but she's not. Yeah, no, I, I think first name. Yeah, yeah, I, that that was. I think that was more of a, like an homage or something. Yeah, right. So uh, we got we got a new security officer. We have Cadet Uhura, um, who uh, Pike refers to as the Prodigy. So she's essentially fresh out of Starfleet Academy, right? Um, yeah, but she has some sort of um, reputation, and she is just going to be temporary on this ship, at least at this point. But you're starting to see the original crew of the Enterprise get um, put together, right? And uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll time will tell. I, I hope they find some interesting things to do with her character, as you know, as opposed to just you know, <laughs> opening hailing frequencies. Um, that was one of the interesting things that the Enterprise did was with their communications officer having to, uh, you know, do some translation in real time and be a linguist, linguists expert. Um, so hopefully Uhura has some fun things to do and not just sit there and, you know, say hailing frequencies open sir over and over again. Well, it's worth noting that at this point, as of this recording, that I've watched all of the first season and you're watching it episode by episode, right? So you've only seen the first yeah, one. I've, yeah, I've only seen the first okay. one at this point. Yeah. Well, so uh, they do more with you, Uhura. She has a much better character. I, I, I assumed that was that was right. going to be the case. So uh, I just Googled it. And uh, according to Wikipedia, the guy that created Data was Dr. Noonien Soong. Yeah, and the security officer's name is Noonien Singh, so they're super close together. I don't know what that means. I mean, they don't. As far as I know, they're not related at all. It's just I don't think they are. I mean, I think that was just kind of a callback that yeah. they did in generation. It was um, enough that it raised my that I had to look it up. Yeah, it'd be an odd. Someone should make someone in the Star Trek universe should make a comment on that at some point because it's too odd a coincidence to. Anyway, so. uh they're on the bridge. Kirk sits down in the captain's chair, and there's a super brief reference where he looks down at essentially the armrest on the captain's chair, and he sees kind of a burned, scarred face in the in the chair in the arm of the chair, and it kind of catches him off guard. You know, it's maybe a half second, maybe one second long, but it distracts him. Yeah, and and we we don't really know what he's seeing at this point. Just he's seeing stuff. Right, he, he's seeing something. Um, and then, so the, the last part of this scene is that Kirk tells the crew, he does a, 
um, a shipwide communication to, to the entire crew, and he tells them that there was a probe that picked up a warp signature from uh, a remote planet, and the USS Archer went to this planet to investigate, because when they see warp signatures from unmapped planets, they go and investigate, and they make first contact. And so the USS Archer went to this planet, and they have since lost contact with the USS Archer. So, but by the way, nice, nice callback to Enterprise there with the USS Archer. Yeah, I thought that I thought that was cool too. So, um, it's worth noting that uh, they are now so they have their first mission, and they are on route to investigate what happened to the USS Archer. So. After this, we see Park uh, Pike needs a break, or he needs some time. I assume because he saw the face in the chair. Yeah, he, he's definitely a little bit rattled, and is basically like, "Hey, I'm going to be in my quarters. Call me if something happens." And yeah, clearly the crew thinks that's a little odd. There's some kind of we're all glancing at each other, wondering what, what's up with the captain when he says, "All right, I'm I'm out." Well, it would seem to kind of, yeah, it was very abrupt. He was like, all right, you know, engage, like, whatever he says, warp two. And then he's like, all right, I'm immediately going to my quarters. I was like, whoa, like, yeah, wait, like, wait, you know, a couple minutes. Anyway, so he ends up in his But quarters. we as the audience know that everything's fine because he doesn't have the beard anymore. That's true. Oh, that is abso- it's absolutely worth noting that once he gets back to the Enterprise, he is clean shaven again. Right. So it cuts to Pike's personal quarters. And I made a couple of notes about his personal quarters. Number one, they are huge. Like, he has massive personal quarters for one person. Yeah. I assume on a ship you're going to have limited space, but no, Captain's quarters are huge. And uh, he has a fireplace in his quarters. I I noticed that, yeah. I was thinking to myself, like, you're on a spaceship, you got limited oxygen, like, you probably don't want to be burning it and putting off, you know, I'm I'm assuming it's not actual having an actual fire in the fireplace oh you think it's like a holograph or something yeah they could they could do a holographic flame and and even have the heat and everything come off i mean you know there's that that basically exists now you can get a little that's true it's just fireplace thing plugs in as electric heat yeah 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 so spock comes comes into his quarters and basically mentions that pike is a different person since he used to know him he says that he that Pike is different since he went down to the Klingon moon of Boreth. And he mentions that Boreth has a rare ore that can cause temporal consciousness displacement. So they're kind of setting the stage for this um, p- part of this breakdown that, that Pike is having. Yeah, so Pike, I mean, we're, we're getting some, some details now on, like, why he's flipping out. Yeah. So he, he Pike mentions to to Spock that he, as part of this temporal consciousness displacement, that he has seen his own death, and that it's ten years in the future. So we we now know that Pike is aware of his mortality, and more importantly, that it, it has a there's a clock on it, and he knows um, when he's going to die, and it's going to be ten years in the future. So essentially, right at the beginning of the original series. Right. And he makes he makes mention to Spock that he's concerned that the knowledge will affect his judgment. He says, will it make me cautious? So he's worried that as a captain, it's going to affect his decision making process. Like, is it is he not going to be as bold as he might be? Well, he, and he, he also that. says he's afraid it could make him too bold that he wouldn't, you know, and he's right to be concerned. I mean, how would that not affect 
Oh my gosh. You know, can you imagine? Yeah. You know, you're not going to, you know, you know, you're going to live for 10 more years. That means, you know, you can do any, you can do anything at that point. Cause you know, you're not going to die. Oh, that's a good, I didn't think about that. Yeah. You're essentially, you know, you're invincible for at least 10 years. Right. Oh, okay. Um, so the, the scene ends, um, with Pike looking down at this whiskey bottle that they were sharing and they were drinking and it sees he, he has another flash. And at this point you see him flash forward and you see himself burned and in the wheelchair that we know he ends up in as part right. of the original series. So um, Pike is having a rough time and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with this new information and how that's going to affect him as a captain. Do we know? So the next scene is that the Enterprise gets to the planet where the USS Archer was. And I didn't even write down the name of the planet. I should have. But they they get to the planet and they see the USS Archer in orbit. And they do some scans on the USS Archer and it's completely empty. There's no bodies. There's no life signs. There's no nothing. So the crew is completely gone. But they're not dead because they're not on the on the the ship. Right, and I think they they make mention of the fact that the crew was pretty small, right? It's, I th- yeah, because they only ultimately end up. I think they talk about like four. you say four. I think so. Yeah, because I think they recover three from the. Yeah. A- anyway, yes, you're absolutely right. There was not a large um, crew on this ship, so. Um, they scan the planet. And they look at the planet, and what they come up with is that this is a very primitive planet. And they come to the conclusion that if there, there's a warp signature on this planet, but this this level of civilization should not have warp technology. They are way too um, too primitive. Their technology isn't up to snuff. Right. They don't have you know the other technologies that would go along with the level of technology that would let them have warp drive. Right. So they they kind of determine that something's up, and they decide to put up shields. So they raise the shields, and right about then, you know, three or four uh, plasma torpedoes hit, get fired, and, and actually hit the Enterprise, and it does no damage essentially. And um, one of the one of the crew makes mention that that's 21st century tech. So you, they're just setting the stage again that that whatever's going on in this planet, you know, they. You know, they've they're basically where we are right now is right. in the twenty first century. They don't have any fancy warp drive or you know, fancy tech to, to support this. So uh they do a little more scanning and they determine that it's not a warp drive that they are detecting, it's a warp bomb. Right. So what they normally expect to see when they see warp signatures is using it in a warp drive, but that is not the case this time. And I think actually doesn't Spock mention that in all the cases of of civilizations developing warp, that a warp drive is always developed before the bomb. So this this is very out of the ordinary. Yeah, they always he says that you know when, whenever they see warp technology, it's it's in the past. It's always been used for for propulsion. So at this point, we don't know a whole lot other than that. They do mention that they scan the planet and they see that there are two factions on the planet and that those factions are actively warring with each other. So we've got an empty USS Archer, we've got a warp bomb in play, and we have two factions that are actively engaged in war with each other. Yeah. 
So they decide that they need to, you know, they need to beam down. They need to do a rescue mission. Oh, they they also determine that the crew from the Archer is on the planet. So they're going to go down and try and rescue their crew. Right. But they can't just go down to the planet because the the aliens on this planet have a very distinct look. So they have to go to sick bay and um, they basically get disguises. Yeah, and they also determine at this point that since they don't have warp drive, that their general order one is in place, and so they can't reveal themselves. Absolutely, they have yes. to, you know, they have to try to to blend in and not give themselves away. Right, absolutely. I I missed that. So we're back to the prime directive, which at this point is called Starfleet General Order One. It has not been named because we're too early in the series. So they have to go down incognito to the planet. Um, surface right and so they they need disguises so they go to sick bay and um nurse chapel is there and nurse chapel is uh, a character from the original series also so we're introduced to i think this is our fifth character from the original series mm-hmm. um so we're, we're just again we're putting more of the band back together and we're starting to see where some of this comes from nurse chapel gives them all disguises she is a um, she has extensive experience in, in bio modification and she gives them all, uh, an injection, which makes their, their physical appearance look like the natives of this planet. Right. And I don't know, I, I think this is a little bit of setup, but I did note that, um, La'an does not take the sedative. She was like, I, I want, oh, cause the, the process is extremely painful. So they give them a right. sedative and then that this thing that biologically modifies them and La'an refuses the sedative. And um, I think it's just worth noting that she, she's kind of a badass. I think that's what they're setting up with this character. Did you For think- sure? But there's also, I mean, there's gotta be more to it, which, you know, I, yeah. And again, I haven't seen any episodes besides the first one. So I don't know, you know, what, what is going to explain this, but there's clearly something here that, you know, she's got some kind of tenant or belief system that, you know, tells her she can't take this sedative uh because you know it doesn't it doesn't play to me like she's just trying to be a badass it's she's not doing this for funsies it's like hey i'm gonna go on the mission and do my duty but i can't take this sedative as part of that and then you know she's she's not enjoying it so yes (laughs) i'm trying not to give too much away because i i've seen where this goes i'm I'm more interested in hearing your side of it because yeah i mean clearly there's some kind of She's taken some kind of oath or she has, you know, some code or belief system that that means she can't take the sedative for whatever reason. So I, I don't know what what that is, but I assume that's something we'll find out as the season progresses. So uh, well, who's on the away mission? We got Pike and Spock and La'on, right? There's yeah. three of them. And so they beam down to the planet. And so real quick, though, before we get to that, you know, this is like the first part of the episode where I'm like, okay, this just doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, we, we've done the establishing shot on the bridge at this point. So we're aware that the crew of the Enterprise consists of more than three people. Right. So you've got the person who can't take the sedative that stops this from being a horrifically painful process. Okay. We're going to have her be one of the three that goes. Can't, can't do it without her. Okay. And then we've got Spock who we've, you know, this wasn't a surprise to them. We, we, 
we find out right there before they even do this that the process is not going to work terribly well on him because he's a Vulcan. Yes, his physiology is different, so he right. has a shorter time clock before. Right, yep. but yeah, taking Spock. Sure. Got to have him. Sure, absolutely. And then we've got Christopher Pike, who's like he's good to go. But uh, you know, I just I feel like they could have probably found a second person to go who would not have been subjected to horrific pain in the process. Okay. And I also feel like they could have found a third person to go who wasn't going to endanger the entire mission by having the process reversed at exactly the wrong time. I think those are fantastic points. And, I, and I mean, I I'm, no I'm, I'm going back to, uh, you know, Pike is just not himself right now. I mean, that seems like, you know, a good a good leader would have been all over that. You know what? You know, leadership is nothing but uh, you know putting your resources in the right place at the right time. So, I think, uh, I, think those, I think those are all fantastic points. And, yeah, definitely I mean, questioning Christopher Christopher Pike's leadership skills at this point. So, I mean, unfortunately, I think a lot of those decisions are driven by they need to make a good TV, and so. Right. I mean, obviously, we're you know when uh, you know when we're we're. Uh, establishing that the this process might not work for Spock uh and and might reverse you know we know what's coming let's yeah so let's let's get into that because that's essentially what happens and I think that's probably part of it so we see um Pike Laon and, and Spock land on the middle of this planet uh they do some scans and they determine that number one is deep under the surface of the planet so they start you know, heading towards where she is. They got the tricorders out. They're kind of zeroing in on her signature. And they they had to do like a retinal scan to get into, I don't know, the prison or wherever they were. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unclear what this, I mean, it's, it's you know, the the central government building or something like that, but it's, you know, it's some kind of hospital slash research lab that, has uh, the warp signature as well as the the life forms they've detected the the their human compatriots who are missing. So, and, and this is I thought this was kind of a silly scene, um, but essentially they they Laon and Pike get through the retinal scan, and just as they're about as as Spock is about to go through, like lo and behold, what happens? Like his bio stuff starts reversing because his physiology doesn't work, right? So they have to come up with this like booster shot, essentially, like they have to give it to Spock so that he can, so that he'll pass this bio scan, and they literally beam it directly into his eye. Yes. And like the, I mean, I thought the scene with like the transporter tech was pretty good. They ask him, "Can you do this?" And he was like, "What? No, that's not how transporters work." And like the acting ca- acting captain is like, "Well, you better find a way to make it work." Right. In true Star Trek fashion, we're told that this is impossible, and then thirty seconds later, they make it work. So, and of course it works. Spock scans through the thing and they get basically into this, you know, central tower or whatever. They, you know, take an elevator down. They they get down deep where they're finding number one's um, calm signal. Yeah. And were, right. they, were they supposed to be on, in jail or being held? Yeah, they're held in in some kind of you know confinement area way down deep. But um, again, I'm I'm uh, I'm questioning you know, now. I'm questioning the uh, the security practices or whatever this this race is that we're visiting because 
you know, they need the retina scan to even get in the building. But then once you're in the building, you're in the building and you can go wherever you want. Well, that's what I put. I'm like, so you want to go down to the the holding area? No problem. So that was my note was, I mean, so this is essentially a prison break. They're going to break out. But yeah, they get in the elevator, they go down. There's no guards. They basically open the door. They're like, all right, come with us. Yeah. You know, there was like some weird um, comment where she's like, oh, we used a spoon and we opened up the wall. We think we can get a comm signal out, but that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. They literally just walk in and walk out with their crew, right? Right. I mean, I think this is, we're we're running up against the time, you know, the the episode only has an hour of of TV here and, you know, they needed to cut some corners. So yeah, it's, it's very, very easy for them to get these prisoners out once they get into the building. So, I mean, I understand it's 21st century tech, like sure, but like they literally didn't even have a guard. So they get, we blew our suspense scene on them getting into the building with the retinal scan. And now it's, it's all going to be real easy because we got to jump forward here. So, so they're, they're actually, they, they even walk out. So they, they get their three people. So they got the three original members of the away team and then the three people they rescue and they walk out of, as they're getting on the elevator, like some guards or some other people like get off the elevator and like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, here's the tension, right? There's going to be a little bit of a fight. It's like four seconds, man. They just crush them. Right. Well, and, they don't even, I mean, the only reason they even have to fight them is because that at that point now, finally the, the Chekhov's gun, uh, not that Chekhov, the, uh, the other Chekhov's gun uh-huh. uh, goes off and Spock's, uh, you know, his bio modification ceases oh, right. completely. Uh, and then the the people they had run into who didn't think it was weird that these guys were just moving around with these human prisoners suddenly you know, realized that, oh, wait, something strange is going on here. And then they have to fight off the guards. And man, what a fight it is. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's all of two or three seconds. Anyway, they completely overpower them. So. We are at this point back on the elevator, and every all six of them now are getting back to the surface so they can beam them out. So there's a little I mean, bit. Of- you know, at this point, you know, maybe you know, Starfleet puts a small amount of steroids in every meal you get from the replicator or something. Yeah, that could be. So there's a little bit of exposition in the elevator ride back to the surface, and uh, Pike asks number one, "What happened? How did you get here? Like, what's going on?" And she says, "I can't." tell you like all of that is classified i can't i can't tell you in front of laon and and pike basically says i don't care like you know just tell me what the heck happened like you can talk in front of her and what number one says is uh we're less than one year from zero point and this is where you start to understand how this is connected to discovery so in star trek discovery um they opened up a wormhole to the future because the first two seasons of discovery take place in the past. Right. Um, and the, the, at least the third and the fourth season, which are current as of right now, take place far in the future. So um, there's a, there was a wormhole opened up that to mess around. So they could just get to give them an excuse to go to the future. Well, when they did that, there were, um, there was an event. And again, I haven't watched discovery, but they they make mention in this that there were I think there were Klingon ships and and there were also Federation ships. What she says was that there were a hundred warp signs in the sky as part of this wormhole opening up. Right. Um. And th- though so and she mentions that where this wormhole was opened up and where all these warp signatures were seen was less than one light year from this planet that they're on. So the natives on this planet you just used their generic old twenty first century technology telescopes saw this wormhole, saw all these warp signatures, and basically 
figured out from that how to reverse engineer a a warp. Right. They bomb, they were able, right? yeah they they got the warp signature and figured out how to make how to replicate that kind of energy. But but again, rather than replicating it in a drive, you know, to do something productive, they made a bomb. So this this is like this is Prime Directive one hundred one, right? This is why right. you don't interfere with pre-warp civilizations because they just don't have the capacity to understand this technology without using it for uh, nefarious purposes. Right. So um, there's a, a quick flash where you, Pike looks at the elevator, the shiny part of the elevator. You see another burned face in the elevator wall. So this is, I think, now the third one in the episode. So Pike is seriously having flashbacks at this point. Um, they... I can't remember if it's on the elevator or off, but they get to the top. So they're now within communications and transporter range of the Enterprise. And they're all about to beam up and just, you know, get the heck out of Dodge. And and Pike says, hey, you know, we we can't leave because this planet, you have these two warring factions. One of them's got a warp bomb now. Like all of these deaths are going to be on our hands if we leave. So he convinces Spock to stay with him. And so Pike and Spock decide to stay on the planet and uh, basically convince them not to use the bomb. So the other four beam back up. Um, Now, one question I had that I guess it's just, you know, a bit bit of a a plot hole that the episode didn't have time to, you know, to cover. But did we ever, what was your sense for how, how did number one and the crew end up on the planet? They... Well, I you know they find the ship in orbit, and you know the ship's fine, but they're not there. So, is the implication that they went down to the planet to like say, "Hey, here's our you know here we are. It's time for first contact," and they got jumped? Oh, I got the impression that, and, and none of this is said, so there, we don't know for sure. But I got the impression they were trying to do a stealth mission, and they were going to try and recover this warp technology and prevent them from using it. Okay, but. I don't have any. There's nothing in the episode. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't really explain like how they ended up on the planet. It could be. It could be either one. But the point is, is that the USS Archer went to investigate. They beamed down to the planet to do something. Whatever happened went awry, and they got captured. Right. So at this point, it's it's Pike and Spock on the elevator, and and Spock looks like a Vulcan now because his physiology is reverted, and the doors open, and there's a bunch of natives, and they have guns pointed at Pike and Spock, and and Pike looks at all of them, and he says, take me to your leader, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, no, that was, I mean, yeah, it's cliche, but it's a good line. Yeah, I thought so. It worked. It It played. He basically goes to, you know, they take him to congress or you know whatever the leadership yeah they're taking him to the you know madam president and he explains like hey look you're right you got this technology and it's bad news it's gonna be a problem because this you're not ready for this and he tries to convince them like hey you really don't want to do this you don't want to blow up these people it's going to be a lot of death and it's just not a good situation right and the the lady leader, the female leader, says um, essentially, whoever has the biggest stick wins. And she's like, I've got a pretty big stick right now. I have this warp bomb. She was like, this is going to put my faction on you know on the right side of history, right? Or right. You know, at least give us a leg up. And so there, and that's kind of the end. And she like kicks Pike and Spock out. And as they're like essentially being dragged out, 
he yells to his communicator, which is what across the room, and he's yeah. talking to Enterprise. And he basically tells them to, and I'm not sure exactly what they were doing because the Enterprise doesn't have cloaking, but they were in the atmosphere hiding. And he basically, so they they weren't necessarily hiding, but they were they were you know they're in orbit, and I guess the implication is that the like the general populace doesn't know that they're there, right? But clearly, like you know, clearly the military knows because uh, they so? they shot at them. I mean, the the oh the, true the, yeah right. The right. military knows that they're there, but the the folks on the street aren't aware of them, but now they are because they've come down into low orbit. So, yeah, now, so it cuts to a shot of the, the outside and you see the Enterprise like in the clouds. Like, so now everyone on the planet knows like, whoa, there are aliens that exist. Because I think the implication at this point is that this planet is like modern Earth. Like, they right. don't know that aliens exist. They don't know about any of this technology. So all of a sudden there's this ship in the sky and they're all freaking out, right? Right. So it's yeah. It's, Pike, Pike basically says something along the lines of like, "Hey, if, like, we've already broken the prime directive. Like, let's just break. Let's just if we're gonna yeah. do it, let's just do it." That that was the note I took. I'm like, now that is a violation of the prime directive. Like, wow, right? This is like full on shock and awe, right? He he essentially says, you know, like if you think you've got the biggest stick, like let right. me show you what I got up my sleeve, right? So at this point, they now everybody on the planet is aware, hey, they're not alone in the galaxy, and that maybe they need to reevaluate their what's going on. So both factions on this planet then agree to a debate. You know, they, they're going to put their differences aside and, you know, maybe try and work on this instead of just blowing each other up. Right. And there's, they make mention in the episode that this is the first time that those two factions have been in the same room in centuries. So whatever's going on has been, you know, a, an ongoing feud. Right. So uh, the, the two, the, the two sides are, you know, actively having a debate and Pike is in the middle, like physically in the middle of them. And he cuts, he cuts in, uh, he cuts them both off and he gives this speech uh, about um, what he says was the second civil war and the eugenics war and finally world war three. And he starts showing, you know, essentially video clips of earth of what happened on earth before we were refined enough to understand, you know, how to use warp technology without killing ourselves. So he gives this impassioned speech about like, Hey, you have this technology, but now is your chance to rise above this and yeah. use it for good. And he offers to let them join the the Federation. He says, look, hey, this is Federation of Planets out there. We're all working together. Like, you guys can come be part of us, or you can stay down here and kill each yeah. other. Now, now back, back up for a second, too, because there was an, an interesting thing there where uh, he, he starts talking about the, the Second Civil War. Uh, one of the clips in his little PowerPoint presentation was of, you know, some protesters marching with some signs about... Uh, you know, uh, you know something about you know votes being stolen or elections being rigged or something along those lines. There was um, actually, and I was going to ask you about this because there was actually a scene. There was, a, you know, it was real quick, but there was also a clip of a gallows, right? Yes. So uh, I, was that directly out of the January sixth stuff, or was that? Created? I don't know if they showed actual like January sixth footage there, but clearly that's what they're alluding to. Yeah. So that I I did make note that that was interesting that they were yeah like, yeah and I I believe that the second Civil War reference is new to the Star Trek canon 
I certainly don't remember hearing anything about that before. They've made mention right. of World War Three in other World War Three. They've talked about the yeah. eugenics war and everything, but the, oh, they have the talked whole... about the eugenics war. They have, yeah. So that okay. that's where Khan came from. Oh, so the eugenics okay. war was Khan, you know, and, and you know the eugenics piece is all the you know the bio bioengineering they yeah, did. Yeah. So you know Khan okay. and his master race basically trying to take over the world. There there were apparently uh, a number of you know, uh, bioengineered superhumans that all kind of turned into warlords and were fighting each other, and Khan was one of them. So uh, that's the eugenics war, and then World War Three they have where everything gets blown to hell. But yeah, that that mention of Second Civil War, I'm pretty sure, is new. So we're we're trying to you know loop this into some modern day stuff with our allegory here for sure. Um. So. I don't know. We never actually see. That's the end of the, that scene, the debate scene. I, yeah. I don't know if we ever actually hear if the the sides come to any sort of agreement. Um, but we move on from that, and you know the planet doesn't blow up. So I, I guess we can infer that there are ongoing negotiations. So maybe what Pike said, you know, had some effect. I, I mean, I thought it was a cool speech, and uh, yeah. Anson Mount is a—he's a force of nature as an actor. I really like him, so just hearing him say that, I thought it was really cool. So, it just really sets up him as a captain, and and you know his command, you know his command ability, and you know his ability, his right. presence in a room. Right? I mean, he was captivating, I should say. Yeah. So the last, the next scene is is the last scene of the episode. And we are now back on the Enterprise in um, some sort of meeting room. And the Admiral, I'm scrolling up to look again. What was his name? April Ad- something? Admiral April. Robert April is on the Enterprise now. And they are basically discussing the fiasco that has happened on this planet and the major violation of the... <laughs> right. Of, of General Order 1. Yes, General Order 1. And um, they basically come up with that there's a loophole, essentially, in General Order 1, that because since the Discovery battle never, the, the, the or what was it? The it Basically, he says, since they can't, they can't, because that whole, you know, battle that happened with Discovery is classified, you know, they can't acknowledge how these people got the knowledge of the warp signature. So they can't acknowledge any of Pike's violations in dealing with them, basically. So I mean, that felt—I mean, that felt like a very like TV show explanation. It of, totally like, was. Like, we can't throw this guy in the brig, so we got to come up with a, a a way to make it. Yeah, work. yeah, that was a huge cop out. But yeah, basically, it was like, well, since we can't tell people how you broke the Prime Directive, we can't hold you responsible. So, so you're you're getting off on a technicality, and we're just gonna like pretend this never happened. So I mean, it's all good news for Pike because he avoids sure. he avoids what court martial and probably prison time and um so uh and that's mostly the end. It, it cuts to the bridge and um, Samuel Kirk walks onto the bridge. Yeah, we get our payoff of the yep. the Kirk reference from the beginning of the episode, and now we find out that it's it's not James T. It's Samuel Kirk. And and doesn't doesn't Pike actually make mention? He asks him like, "How are your kids?" Kind of thing. Something he I makes... don't know about that, but but they they clearly know each other. Uh, Samuel Kirk comes on the bridge, refers to him as Chris, and then catches himself and says, "Oh, sorry, you know, Captain Pike." And so they clearly have 
these guys are buddies. Line about his kids or something. I maybe maybe something like that. Yeah, but but, but the point yeah, is we, that they know each other and yeah, he's their so buddy he, buddy, and we've got Kirk's Kirk's dad on the ship, and he is going to um he's going to have a job. He's going to be, he's posted to life sciences, so he looks over at Spock and says he's your boss. So Spock right. is now Samuel Kirk's boss. Yeah, which you you would think that would have come up at some point before if you know Spock had worked very closely with Kirk's dad, but oh well. Right, that's a little Hollywood hand waving. Yeah, to see here because otherwise right. it doesn't work. Yeah, right. So uh, the the acting captain, her name is uh, Ortega, and she, normally when she's not acting captain, when Pike is on the um, on the bridge. On the bridge, she is the. Um, Seems like she was the the helmsman. The helmsman. That's the word I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. So she says, "Okay, cool. So you know, now everybody's back on the ship. We survived this. That you know." She he says, "She says, what's the mission?" And um, Pike recites the litany again. He basically tells the whole crew, like, or at least the bridge anyway. He says, "Hey, we're explorers. We're going to go out and we're going to look around because that's what we do. And so it's right. in our nature." And uh, that's it. Star wipe. End of the first um, episode. The only other thing that uh, do you want is there anything that you had to say on that last scene before I go on? Just a tiny. Uh, just I mean, we 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 just we were dealing with some really heavy stuff that we resolved really quickly, right? Uh, and now it's all good, and and off we go. Um, that, that's Star Trek, though. I mean that's yeah. that's how this always goes. So I, I can't fault them for that. Right there. I mean, there's a. I mean, like you said, that's the way Star Trek has to. You know, it's very utopian. Things have to end well. You know, for the most part. Right. Um, there was a lot of Hollywood hand wavy. Like you know, just trust us that this this is you this know all not, works out. All works out. Um, the only other note that I had on this one is that the credits. Um, so immediately after it ends, even really before you get to the credits, the credits are dedicated to April Nasifora. And I'd never heard that name before. Does that ring any bells to you? No. I, I actually had to look it up, but apparently she was a producer who worked on um, several. She worked in several different capacities in the Star Trek franchise, spanning over twenty-five years. She worked on Next Generation and DS Nine. Anyway, so apparently, oh, wow. yeah, she had some pretty. Um, she got got quite a Star Trek pedigree. Yeah, exactly. So um, I thought it was cool that they. Well, um, thank you, April. Her. Yeah, absolutely. So. That was that was episode one. Uh, I I thought it was a good episode. I did not think it was a great episode. What do you think? Uh, no, not not a great episode, but it, it's certainly a, you know as far as Star Trek pilots go, it's it's not bad. Um, frankly, most of the the pilot episodes of Star Trek are not great. <laughs> um, I, th- I mean, clearly, I mean, a, a pilot's episode or a pilot's job is to set up the franchise. We got, right. we got set up on a lot of the characters. and, and I Yeah, to be fair, it's not a job. Star Trek thing. Pi- pilot episodes in general right. usually aren't fantastic. Um, they're still figuring out who these characters are. Right. Uh, you know, in, in this case, since it's a spinoff, you know, Pike and, you know, number one are going to be pretty well established, but everybody else is pretty new. Um, you know, Spock, we all know who Spock is, but we haven't seen this iteration of him. Um, speaking of which, I thought the, the, uh, do you know the name of the actor who plays Spock? I have, I have no idea. I do. I have it up here. His name is Ethan Peck. Uh, th- I thought he did great. Um, yes. Not, not trying to, to do Nimoy, uh, which is a good move. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, no, he he was good. So, in his defense, I mean, he played um, Spock on Discovery for at least two or three seasons, so he's got a little okay. bit of practice he, under his belt. And yeah, you're right; he is great at it. Yeah. Not, yeah, right. It's not a cookie cutter of the original. I think he's got his own take on it, but it is still great. Yeah. And you you see a lot more of both him as an actor and Spock, obviously, in later episodes. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, as as far as is this a great episode of Star Trek? No, not really. Um, but, uh, you know, is, did it do its job of establishing, the, you know, who these characters are and make me want to see their new adventures coming? Absolutely. If we weren't doing a podcast about this. Would this make you want to watch the second episode? Oh, yeah. 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 You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm invested now. I see where these guys go and what yeah. worlds they discover. So what the the only other thing I thought I, I kind of want to discuss and, and we're sort of dealing with this in the Star Wars universe as well, where you have all these shows, you know, that exist in this universe and they have to tie back to the original a lot. Right. Right. So you've got your you got your Star Wars Kenobi show and every you know, it's got Leia and it's got Kenobi in it and it's got you right. know, all the it's got all the fan favorites, right? That's what you got here, right? You've got Pike and you've got Uhura and you've got um, right, Spock and number one, right? So y- there's there's a lot of fan service here, like they're they're yeah, it's it's, they're... A, it's totally a double edged sword. Anytime yep. you do a, a prequel like this, because yeah, you have the built in fan service, you've got the characters people know and and want to see. So yeah, everybody wants to see Pike, everybody wants to see to see uh, Spock, Uhura, all that's great. But then you've got one arm tied behind your back yep. because there's certain things you just can't do, right? That was going to be my question to you is as a fan, would you rather see a series like this, which is, you know, a prequel um, in with a lot of the same characters, or would you rather see like a whole new show? Like, you know, like when Deep Space Nine came out, all of those characters were essentially new. Well, I guess yeah, I, I generally would prefer to see a new show with new characters, right. or if you're going to do a prequel, uh, you know, I would prefer it be something like Enterprise where, Although it's a prequel, it's it's all characters where, you know, there's no established characters in that show. And so they can really, you know. You're not hemmed in. like right? Yeah, they're hemmed in on the, the timeline a little bit and the, the continuity of the show. You know, they can't have, you know, the Borg show up and have some huge war with the Borg in Enterprise Season 5 that never happened or whatever. Sure. Um, although, well, <laughs> they did manage to work the Borg in there, but that's... They kind of did a cop out where they didn't really know who they were, and anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, but they can't they can't do things. They can't introduce stuff that's going to come later. They can't kill major characters. They can't yeah, they, they can't redefine timelines. They have to adhere to right. right. So there's there's some things they're constrained by, but mostly they can do whatever they want with a you know a, a whole cast of characters we've never seen before. But with something like this, you know, there's there's not a lot they can do as far as big changes to what we know the trajectory of these characters is going to be. Um, you know, you meant, and you mentioned Obi-Wan, like Obi-Wan had a lot of problems for me just because of all these, you know, they're establishing all these relationships these characters have where it's like, none of this right. is paid off by the yeah. the stuff that comes later now. So, right. you know, you, that, you that, definitely set some traps for yourself when you do that. I, th- I think you're saying exactly my concerns with this. So when the show was announced, well, number one, I was excited because I really, I really like Anson Mount as a character, and especially as a captain, he's fantastic. Yeah. 
So I was excited to see him, but I think as a general rule, I'm not particularly excited about prequels. Like it's cool to see that story, but like you said, you're so hemmed in with the timelines and the characters and the plot lines that a lot of times as an audience, it's not, you don't get that payoff. Cause like, I know where this is going to go, right? Like I know right. Mike is going to die. I know Kirk is going to come in. I know Spock survives. So at no point can they, you know, they can't really mess with you know spock's character like he can't be killed in a transporter act like you know you know nothing nothing's gonna going. happen yeah he's got the you know impenetrable plot armor yes so so that said that that um again i've seen the whole first season and n- had i known what i know now watching i would have had a completely different reaction because i was not super duper excited about the show but now that i've seen it it it's fantastic. So I don't want to set the bar too high because I, I, I may disappoint you, but it does a really good job of playing in the universe without it being yeah boring or without it being cliche because you know where things going. So, well, and I'll say this, I mean, I, the number one things that excites me about it again, I was, I didn't think this was a, an amazing episode of star Trek, but it was an episode of star Trek. Whereas with discovery, that does not feel like Star Trek. Um, I mean, right. And I know there's, you know, there's a whole lot of people out there who are, you know, there's a lot of reasons people don't like discovery. Um, you know, I'm, I'm siding with a lot of, uh, you know, unsavory uh, opinion to, to, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like discovery because of who the, the cast is. And they, they changed you know, some of the history of the Klingons and they certainly right. look at the But Klingons. I'm saying, um, uh, who, who's the main character? My, uh, Michael. Yeah. Michael Klingon. Burnham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't remember the name of the, the actor who plays her, but, um, oh, yeah, there's a lot of people who don't like discovery because there's a black woman as the main character. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I don't want to side with those folks. Um, I, I think this isn't was, my Star Trek. Right. I think there was th- I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally willing to accept that not all Star Trek series are for me, and that's right. fine. A lot of people like Discovery; they like that it went in a new direction and that you know they didn't play by all the rules, and that's fine too. So I'm, I'm willing to concede that I don't have to like everything, and that not everything has to, you know, be cookie cutter and every. No, and and clearly Discovery was, you know, was scratching an itch people had, and yeah, look, like you said, there's five Star Trek shows on the air right now. Well, you got to remember that Discovery was the, I mean, that was the first show after literally 10 years of nothing on the air. So, Well, like, that's what I'm saying. I mean, after, yeah. you know, we, we had nothing and then Discovery comes along and it spawned all this other stuff. So well, it's I think really I was, doing something right. I was really, really excited just to see Star Trek back on the air at all when Discovery right. came on. And then I, watched I was it. too. And then I just, it turned out it wasn't for yeah. me. Yeah, but, but. It did not. It hasn't ruined things. Clearly, there's there's more Star Trek on the air right now than there ever has been in the history of Star Trek. So, hey, if that's what it takes, then by all means. Right. So. Um, speaking of Discovery, man, we just we need a we need a a show about Michelle Yeoh's character from Discovery. He was yeah, that was the one takeaway was that I think kind of everybody agreed that she was great. Well, I mean Michelle Yeoh's kind of great in everything she does. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, what can't she do? But she's, um, she's fantastic in that. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, so Discovery, you know, I, I liked some things about it. It got a little out there. And again, I, I kind of bounced off it after the end of the first season. But um, it just didn't feel like Star Trek to me, unfortunately. I'll tell but, you what, the, the number one thing I 
like about watching Star Trek. I mean, clearly Star Trek is the the utopian future that I think a lot of people want. Right. As, especially in in entertainment television, I think a lot of people use it for escapism. I mean, certainly I do, right? And when yeah. I sit down and watch a TV show, like I don't want to watch I mean, that's one of the reasons I always liked it is because it had always had a, there was always a positive note, things always ended well. You know, and there was always there was. It's got there a form. It, there's a formula. It's there is a Star Trek formula. And and Discovery took that and totally flipped that formula upside down. And there, and it was very dark. I mean, at one point right. they, were, they were doing drugs and they were they went to like a strip club at one point. Yeah, it just it it, it, it felt played. like they were doing things purely to subvert the formula. It, it, yeah, it, yeah, it felt like they were playing Star Trek, but in a different universe. Right, and, and maybe, I, I don't have a problem with that. If you if you go yeah. like, hey, we want to have these characters do X, Y, Z, that's fine. But it it felt like the motivation was, okay, how can we how can we show that this this is different? Yeah. yeah. Whereas the you know your your motivation should come from we have these characters, we want to tell interesting stories with them, not like, hey, we need to find a way to shoehorn in how edgy and new this is. So yeah, it just it it just didn't work for me. But um, Strange New Worlds, at least after watching the the pilot, it, it definitely feels like it's a Star Trek show. I, it is indeed a Star Trek show. I I, I agree. I think well, that's, uh, sorry, that that sounds like like faint praise, but um, well, again, I'm really trying not to. I don't want a. I don't want to build it up too much. Right, right. I really liked the first season, and you know, I also don't want to give away where a lot of this stuff goes because i mean a, a lot of the things that you said about like a lot of these characters that you know think here's plot points they can and can't do here's things that a lot of these characters can and can't do like a lot of that does come up in this season and it's really creative how they do it and they again they do it in a non-boring way so anyway we've been talking for at least an hour now yeah so. i was gonna say i think we've we've gone past the runtime of the actual episode so yeah absolutely so uh <laughs> that was episode one uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back, uh, I don't know, in a week or so with episode two. All right. All right. Can't wait. Thanks, Ben. You bet. All right. Later.